Okay. I feel like I need headphones. I know. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Welcome back to another episode of Books Closed. This episode is sponsored by Tatsoul. Today we are broadcasting to you from beautiful and interesting Portland, Oregon. Do you say Oregon or Oregon? I say Oregon. Oregon. But I also say other words differently than they say words here. (laughs) (laughs) Say words like horrible. Horrible. I think horrible is East Coast. Yeah, maybe. I say horrible. You say horrible. Do you say orange? Yeah. Yeah, I say orange and horrible. What do you call those little things that you can sprinkle on ice cream? Sprinkles. I don't call them jimmies. Okay, good. Yeah. (laughs) Then we can continue this this conversation. Yeah. (laughs) Jimmies. (laughs) All right. So I'm here at a coffee shop this time, not at a a typical tattoo shop because tattoo shops are so last week. This week, (laughs) we're doing the coffee shop thing. And my guest. Hey, I'm Seth. This is Seth. Seth Safari. You may know him. You may recognize him from the tattoo world or the coffee world. Or the machine world, or the internet world, or whatever yeah. world. You've been in a lot of worlds in your career. So this is a podcast about tattooing, but also about internet, technology, social media, all those things. You're a businessman. You've had many different businesses over time. What do you think the best thing about the internet is as far as starting a business? On the surface, it's just uh, a reach that you typically wouldn't have you know, through um, traditional traditional means without internet, there's a lot more legwork, you know, um, uh, it's, uh, it just, I don't know, makes, it makes, uh, reaching a larger audience a lot easier. Obviously. I mean, you know, there's a lot of people on the internet. <laughs> Do you think that it's harder to stand out though, because there are a lot more people and a lot more other competing businesses? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think so. Well, I mean, I think it depends on what you're doing. What have you done to, to stand out in the past? Or I don't think I have. No, <laughs> no. I don't think I've done anything to stand out on the internet. I think, um, I think there are people who do a much better job of standing out. And, uh, I think, um, I like, I'm okay at the internet in spite of myself. Um, you know, I'm middle-aged and I'm a dad, you know, and, and I, I don't know how to use Snapchat. I don't think anyone uses Snapchat anymore. I think people do the, the same week that I realized I just, when I gave up on Snapchat was the same week that I first fell in the shower. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm old. I'm old. I'm too old. <laughs> and you had to install those like, uh, like, handles like, to get yourself in and out of the tub. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, man, I can't. I just can't do it. So when do you remember first joining the, the social media force? Um, I think it depends on what you consider social media. If you look at the forums, you know, the internet forums, um, you know, that was about 20 years ago. You know, and it's uh, there's been a lot of different incarnations of things, not just the, uh, not just the obvious big ones, but there's been all sorts of little ones that have popped up here and there. Um, and I think I probably got on, I probably got on Instagram fairly early. Uh, Doug Hardy turned me on to it and he was like posting pictures of cats and you know, I was like, Oh cool. There's pictures of cats. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. The wealth of and, cats. Well, I posted a few pictures of my kids. I think were the first, first few things I put on Instagram and then like a picture of a dog. And I was like, and then I realized that it's a, it was a tool. I didn't realize at first I was just like, Oh, it's a, it's a thing on my phone. And then I was like, Oh, this is actually a, a massive network every day. It was like, did you see the, this post or that post and what so-and-so posted? And there wasn't even any explanation as to like what they meant by that. You just knew that they meant they posted something online, mm-hmm. you know, they, it's, it's like a, it just became a given. And to fast forward to now, um, I've, I've always thought that because we've seen different social media platforms come and go. Uh, and I think when it hit, when they hit a critical mass, it's when there are more people trying to promote themselves or something than there are just normal people. And I feel like Instagram has kind of hit that point where there's more people trying to like sell you something or show you something or put it out where it, it outnumbers the people that might actually get to you know what I mean because like on MySpace it got to a point where people were, were using it solely as a tool to the point where no one was actually like a patron I guess to the things that people were trying to put out there yeah it's kind of a two-edged sword you know like it sometimes it feels weird when 
you know, multiple posts, you know, consecutively will only seem salesy to me. Like for, you know, me, when I use it, I don't really use it to sell machines anymore and I don't really use it to push anything because it, I think I've just gotten so tired of seeing that and feeling like I was part of that, that it's just become less and less. And now that I use it for, you know, I'm post a picture of my, my kids or of a tree or my girlfriend or a dog and I lose followers <laughs> because it's not, you know, and people are like, why don't you post more pictures of machines or whatever else? And I'm like, I don't know. Like I doesn't, I'm not trying to sell anything, you know, like it's not that it's not what I'm thinking right now. You know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to have a life and, uh, kind of make this internet presence be like some, at least somewhat reflective or representative of my actual life, you know, and not, and not just the highlight reel that, um, all the tattooers want to see, you know, the tattoo fans. As far as selling machines on Instagram, um, cause I remember when I first started tattooing, you had a website that pretty regularly you were putting a lot of machines on and I bought a bunch of machines from there. But it must have been so much easier when you can just take some photos, put them right on Instagram, and then pretty much immediately sell most of the stuff you put up there. It changed the format completely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, um, well, most people that use the internet do so from a mobile device now, um, yep. you know, with, uh, you know, with our back end on, on, for Blacklaw, we can look and see how many people, literally a percentage what percentage come from mobile and what come yeah. from desktop or laptop or whatever. Yeah. It's like 88% or it's something. It's more than that's, that for us. It's 95. Yeah. It's crazy. It's insane. And you know, knowing that that's the direction it's going, why, why bother, you know, putting, putting something you're selling on a website unless that's your, you really, you know, if you're selling, you know, like one of a kind items, you know, if you're selling tattoo machines or a pair of vintage boots or whatever it is, you're, you know, if it's just a thing, it, it's almost a waste of time to put it on a website because by the time it reaches the site, if you're doing it right, it should be gone. You know, it should, it should already be spoken for by that point. If you're, if you're uh, doing your job. Yeah. It's hard to get anyone to go to any website or to anywhere. That's not just Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, wherever that they, mm -hmm. where they go. Like you, we're all forced to conform to this thing and no matter what, I don't know. It's it's like we're we're captive to these things, and I think that's what is unsettling for a lot of people. We don't have the attention span to go on a website, you know. Like you can also see how much time someone spends on a page, and it's like thirty seconds, you know, and that's it. They click, it's done. And it used to be a lot different. People would go to a page and they would read, you know, the about me, and they read the FAQs, and they would read your 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 backstory. And, you know, that's one of the things that we, um, we looked at with, um, with our, with our black claw site. It's like, there's a story about like who, who grime and I are, who we are, right? Who you is, who we, who he is, <laughs> <laughs> um, is there's our backstory and people don't look at it. They click right past it. And we, we assumed that, um, our, our customers, our community would, would want to see that stuff, but no, they don't. They just want to go in and buy their thing and leave. And typically they're doing it from a phone and they're in the shop or they're driving and they're, you know, re-upping their stuff. And, um, you know, that's cool, but it's, I think it's important to be aware of that and not, um, put stuff in people's face that they don't want to see. Yeah. It's almost like you, if you overdo it, you're, you're missing an opportunity. Like you've got a certain amount of stuff that you can put out before it's too much. So it's like a delicate balance. Cause if you're posting five yeah. things a day, oh, check out this new needle grouping and check out mm -hmm. this one. It's like, people are going to stop listening oh, after yeah, a little while. Exactly. I mean, and you know, when there's so much of something, it becomes less interesting. You know, when you, when you, you know, you flood it, you know, if I were to post 10 tattoo machines a day, I don't think that I'd probably sell any of them. And I don't, I don't, I haven't tried to sell a tattoo machine in a while. You know, it's been, it's, I haven't even thought about it in a while. It's been nice taking a break. Um, and, uh, you know, I've uh, been getting into the shop a little bit more and making machines again, but I'm, I start wondering like, you know, how do I get this into someone's hands without putting it on the internet? Mm -hmm. You know? Um, cause I don't want to, I don't want to put it out there. I'd rather, I'd rather, if I want to share it, maybe do it after it's already in someone's hands, not in a way that's like, Hey, please send me some money. <laughs> you know? And what's your reasoning for that? Is that to preserve maybe something of what used to be, or is it just your own personal? I think it's a it? it's a few things. I think part of it is is 
um, feeling like there's, first off, I feel like there's enough tattoo machines. I feel like there's just, if all of us, if every machine builder stopped making machines, there would be enough machines for a long time. Like even for people to pass them on to their eight apprentices, like there's just enough and there's enough stuff in the world. And, and I'm, and, uh, I don't know, the last uh, couple of years I've been kind of on this, this kick where I want to produce less things and less waste and consume less. And, um, I just feel like, you know, I, like I, I've just contributed too much to the heap, mm-hmm. you know? And if people really want something from me, they'll get in touch and I'll make it out of something that is already around, you know, like just some, some scrap or whatever. And, uh, I don't know, not, not make more stuff, you know? I just figured that was you flexing that you can make, you can make machines out of anything. No, I just would rather, I don't know, like, is it a challenge? Is that, is it more rewarding to you when you can do it that way? It's just more interesting. If you look at Instagram, it's obvious that anyone can make a tattoo machine, you know? Right. I mean, how well they can make it work is another thing. But for me, I guess what maybe would set me apart at this point was just that I'm not involving myself in that whole shit show. You know, I'm kind of over it. As, as like Instagram, for example, became more, you know, just dominating everything of how people put tattoo stuff out there. How did that affect the the market? And, and as far as machine builders, maybe taking ideas a little too much from other people and stuff. Well, I mean, it, it just, it became, it's, it was like a gold rush, you know, like everyone treated the internet and machine making and tattooing like, like a gold rush, like a cash grab, you know, and people, um, are m- more easily uh, able to cannibalize it and, you know, grab a hold of what you put out, like, and they're able to copy it just as fast as you show it. Um, and it, uh, in a sense has, you know, it sort of devalues things, you know, like, you know, it's like, and you, you hear about a tattoo or a machine or a painting or something, and it's not all over the internet. You have to go someplace to look at it. Um, it's a lot more exciting when you get there and you're like, holy shit, like I've always heard about this thing and now I see it. And you're going to take the time to really look at every little piece of it. Hold it, sm- like literally smell it, like look at it, really yeah. check it out. And now it's just so, it's just so fast. You just, you, you know, click, 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 you know, as fast as you can to get past it and look at the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and feed it, and feed it and feed it. And like you, like you can't consume it fast enough. And you know, it's like, it used to be where, you know, you go to a tattoo convention and you'd see people come up to your booth or someone else's booth and they would just flip through portfolios two, three pages at a time, mm-hmm. you know, just as fast as they could, especially somebody like Chris Trevino's book, which was just filled with bodysuit after bodysuit. And you could spend hours looking at it, but I would see people go through his portfolio in five minutes. And it's the same thing now where they're just clicking, clicking, clicking until they see the thing that they like. The they thing really like, and then for. they take a screenshot and then, and then they save that one little thing. And, and I don't know, I'd rather what I do not be part of the stuff that just gets clicked past. Um, I don't do it for that. I don't do it for the, for the consumption, you know, and, and there, you know, there have been times in my, in my career, in my work life that I've, um, I felt the need or actually had the need to keep up in some way, whether it be to pay the bills or to stay relevant. Um, that just doesn't, it's just not part of my life anymore. Why not? I think, um, simplifying things for myself and, um, focusing more on, uh, a quality of life because, you know, while you can spend a lot of time making a lot of money, you never get that time back, you know, and like what price can you put on spending time with people that you care about and your, your kids and stuff. You know, I, I, um, have my kids the majority of the time they're with me like 80%, 90% of the time these days. Um, and, uh, you know, I, when they were with me like half the time, I had a lot more, a lot more hours to work. And now if I work those kind of hours, I'm finding myself away from them and it's essentially putting a price on those hours that I don't get to be with them. You know, it's essentially yeah. like, this is what it costs for me to be away from my kids. And I'd rather go, well, I'd rather not have the money and just spend the time with them, you know, cause they're, they're teenagers. They're going to be out of the house 
you know, sooner than later. And I'm, I'm not going to wish that I had missed more time with them, you know? Right. Um, and I can, there's always time to make more money. Um, and you know, I have less money now than I've had in a long time, but my life is more simple and, and, um, I think it's just, and it's a lot more gratifying, you know, to not worry about it, not have to, not have to hustle constantly, you know, just kind of grew tired of the hustle and like, oh, I better go make machines. And then it's like, I better sell these machines. You know, it just doesn't, it's just not, not fun anymore. You know, how many machines, if you had to guess, do you think you've made in your life? Oh man. Two, three dozen. Uh, that's what I thought. <laughs> yeah. A lot. It's been a lot. Um, I don't know. I mean, in the probably 10,000 range ish. Yeah. I don't know. I could probably do math and figure it out maybe on an average, but there was a period where it was like a hundred or more a month. Wow. Um, and, All uh, by yourself or did you have help then? I've had help in, in, in different capacities over the years. It's been, you know, everything from just me or one, one person with me to like a shop with, uh, you know, literally 10 people doing different things like running an office, one person, you know, managing an office, one person managing a website, one person, um, you know, doing photos and handling Instagram, one person that was, you know, winding coils, one person that was putting coils on frames, like, you know, we had like a full operation where I was like paying for everyone's health insurance and, and, uh, the overhead in that was about $50,000 a month for everyone's, uh, you know, for the rent and all this, all the, um, materials, um, everything, their health insurance, all the stuff. It was, it was a lot of money. So it, um, you, you have this minimum of like, this is how many machines I have to sell every month in order to get everyone fed in order to make sure that the people that work with me who have families are able to get a paycheck or they're going to quit and then I'm going to be screwed and then they're going to be screwed or whatever. So, you know, let's just say the minimum is, you know, 50 or a hundred machines a month. And that's what I have to sell in order to break even here. I am saturating a market to no one's benefit other than the paychecks for the people that work for me. And while I care about those people, it is a harmful to me and the longevity of, of myself and my, my relevance in the tattoo business as a machine maker, but also to the tattoo community as well, because with that sort of quantity, um, it's really difficult to maintain that, uh, the level of, of quality that, that created the reputation for me to be able to sell that many machines. Yeah. I guess it's kind of a a unique thing in that you really need to have your hand in a lot of the parts that matter. You know, you can't just let it run itself in a business like that. Absolutely. And, um, you know, even with, uh, you know, for the last, and, and after I, after I stopped doing the shop that way back in, oh, that was probably 2012 ish where I, you just made the decision. To it was a, small, it was a short period. Back. It was like two years where the shop was like that. Uh, yeah, it was just too much. I couldn't deal. It was too much. So then I paired it down to two guys with me and then I paired it down to one guy with me and he was great. And he was with me for eight years and it was this past May that we just decided to call it quits. And it wasn't because he was doing anything wrong. He was great. It was just that we, it was, again, it was, it was having that, having to meet that minimum. It's not even worth it at that point it's at not, all. It's not because I'm, I'm selling, you know, I mean, 30, 40 machines a month, like a machine a day and not keeping any of the money, literally not keeping it a dime. And I looked at it, it was about two years of breaking even when I was just like, well, I can't, I just can't do it anymore. And I, you know, I, I like was going to call it quits um, like in December and then I was like, oh shit, Christmas is coming up. And then I was like, oh, his anniversary is coming up. And then it was new year's and I'm like, okay, I'm going to do it right after the new year and something else. And then finally in May, I like went and had a talk with him and he's like, okay, it's cool. Whatever. He's like, I, I figured it was coming, you know? And, um, back to the welfare office. Thanks. Seth. Now he's got, he's, he'll be great. He's, he's got a job, but uh, he got a job quickly. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you yeah, know, if, he was, if he was the one guy that you kept, he must have been pretty good. Well, he was also really well paid, which was expensive, you know, because after eight years of raises for a person who's your right hand, 
it gets really expensive and, and I, I really care about the dude a lot. So I was willing to hand over a machine business to him and basically say, Hey dude, if you want to sell machines, if you want to do your own machine thing, I'll, I'll fully give you my blessing. You already, I've already shown you everything I have to teach anyone. You know how to do this stuff from start to finish without, without missing a beat. You can do this entire thing yourself. Go on and make machines if you want to. And he was like, eh, I don't, I don't know that I want to do that. He's like, I might, he like wanted to do, uh, repairs. So I said, man, you should just, you know, do all the repairs that I don't feel like fucking with and have people pay you a, uh, like a shop, like an hour, like a shop rate. And he's like, eh, I don't really, I don't feel like it. I'm he had enough to, he's doing construction now. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we're still friends and we go on rides and stuff together. All right. We're going to take a quick break and we will be right back. This week's episode is sponsored by Tatsoul. Providing tattoo supplies and shop furniture to the professional tattoo artist. How often are you complaining about your sore back or neck? They might have exactly what you should be sitting on or having your stinky clients sit on. Check them out at tatsoul.com or on Instagram at tatsoul. And also, while he's not a sponsor, he is this week's guest and Seth wanted me to mention to you his latest project called Machine Machine. It's an online video workshop for professional tattooers to teach you about machine function, liner versus shader, and a better understanding of the physics behind springs and their relation to frame geometry. Rotaries are great, but are you using them because you don't actually understand your coil machines? Do you even have coil machines? It's not something to be ashamed of, and this is actually a pretty convenient solution to that problem since you can watch these videos from the comfort of your own creepy little home. The course starts on Monday, August 20th. Enrollment's only open until Sunday, August 12th. So if you're listening to this episode right as it's released, you still don't have much time. Go to machinemachine.co and sign up before it's too late. The course costs 400 bucks, but if you use the code BOOKSCLOSED, all one word, when checking out, you'll get $50 off. At that price, you got to figure you've got a drawer full of coil machines you never use, that each cost more than this course. So put the value back in those machines and continue on your lifelong journey towards actually knowing what the fuck you're doing. Again, use code BOOKSCLOSED when signing up on machinemachine.co and enroll in the course now for just 350 bucks. All the specifics and additional info about that course is also on that website. All right, thanks for hanging in there. I think... We need to get into the topic of the Reed Street Forum. <laughs> I knew I knew that was coming. Yeah. So for people, if listeners don't know what that is, just give a brief overview of what the Reed Street Forum was all about. Ooh, the Reed Street Forum. It was actually um, it came about when I got my first my first website. Um, my buddy Aaron, who I grew up with in Baltimore, was a web web developer website builder guy. And when he put my site together, he's like, "Do you want a forum?" And I was like, "What's a forum?" And he showed me, he like showed me like some car forums and shit like that. And, um, uh, I was like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. He's like, it'd be, you know, good for your, good for your shop, good for machines. And I was like, all right. And, um, we, we put this forum up and, uh, um, at the time there was one, I believe. And I, and I think it was, um, it was called the starlight tattoo forum. And there were probably, I don't know, 10, 15 members or something. It was just like a handful of dudes that would argue and like two or three good tattooers. And, um, the rest were like fucking total scratchers. And I, and I had built the form and I sent a, I sent a message to a couple of the guys on there. I was like, or I might've even posted like, Hey, I'm doing this thing. Um, I want to do it differently. I want to, I want it to be, um, uh, kind of more contained and I want it to be sort of an invite only or, uh, um, you know, membership by request sort of deal, not totally open. Um, and people started jumping on it. And, and I think, uh, what really helped early on was that like, you know, Aaron Kane was active and grime was active and, mm -hmm. um, Dan Gilsdorf was part of it. And there were, um, a lot of, a lot of my peers were, um, were kind of in on it and we were all having a lot of fun with it. Um, and it just, it grew and grew and grew, um, to the point where, 
I was um, enlisting the help of like moderators and administrators that were volunteering to kind of keep things rolling for us. Um, and it kind of just turned into um, what was like sort of the first um, like online tattoo community. What was your initial idea for like what it would actually be? Like what did you think people were going to discuss? The the mission statement for it was it was I think it was like to um, it was supposed to be just like an exchange of information. You know, I, I can't remember exactly what it said on the forum, but it was like essentially um, to create an environment of um, uh, of um, professional tattooers exchanging information and like critiquing one another's photos and um, saying things that you typically wouldn't put out there. But knowing that you were in the company of professionals, it was okay to talk about that stuff. So as the forum grew and it kind of developed itself a bit, um, there's kind of a culture to it, I guess. Right. Like how, how would you describe the, the kind of environment that the, the forum became after more users were getting on there? It was always, I mean, for the most part, really lighthearted and, and fun. Um, you know, it kind of uh, caught a, um, I guess caught a bad rap as being elitist just because it was kind of a closed door thing and you had to submit um, an application or a membership had to be approved, you know, so that sort of pissed a lot of people off. And um, it, <laughs> it sort of like begat all these other forums that people were like, well, fuck that guy. I'm going to do my own forum. And like, then it was all like 18 different machine forums and, you know, ev and that sort of, <laughs> well, we can get into that in a minute. Um, but the forum itself was, was uh, a lot of fun for a long time. Um, and I think at its peak, it was like 12,000 members, which at the time was a lot, you know, at the time that, that was, it was the biggest, uh, community of tattooers online that, that anybody had seen um, at that point. I didn't realize going into it that it would be um, such a vehicle for sales or advertising or anything. And people started approaching me to want to um, buy banner ad space. And then I was bumming people out for choosing one person's banner ad and not another one. And, you know, it, it became, it was almost like the MySpace top friends deal where like people would get mad that you weren't in their top eight if you didn't let them put a banner <laughs> on your site and people would like want to trade banners with their forum and your forum and all this incestuous bullshit. And, um, I had, I had no idea that it was going to be like that. Um, but you know, it's sort of, I think with it being a thing that, um, some people felt excluded from that sort of created, uh, more and more and more forums kind of popping up and, each of those forums kind of had their own little following. And then once people had their own following and their audience, then they were like, well, I should start making machines and sell them to my audience. You know, that sort of became the business, the business model for a while, which wasn't, wasn't what I intended. Yeah. Um, but it did, it, it did generate a lot of interest in my machines that I didn't expect. It was kind of out of nowhere. It was, cause I didn't, I didn't go into it expecting that I was like, Oh, that would be cool. But, I was new to the internet, you know? Right. And it's funny that being new to the internet, you still came upon this idea and this thing that really turned into a big, a big thing for tattooing, you know, like most yeah. people are on it. And, and some people can say that that maybe marked where too much information started to be given away. Yeah. But at the same time, those same people probably have a story of something that they learned that they still think about today. Yeah. You know, basic stuff. So it's, it's well, it easy wasn't like, to, to, to like reject that. But from where I'm sitting, I think it, I think it was a good thing. Well, there, it wasn't like it was a how to of tattooing. Right. I mean, I think that the, the most beneficial stuff that was on there was, um, you know, like being able to see like up close photos of Aaron carving frames or of, um, people's Mike Dorsey's paintings or BJ Betts paintings or, um, you know, getting really harsh, real critiques from people like Grime. Um, that was the, that was the real stuff. There was never a, like, this is how you tattoo kind of a thing. And I, and I think that people sort of, uh, have this assumption that it was like this, um, like a tattoo school kind of a thing almost, but it, it wasn't, that wasn't it at all. It was like, this is what happened in my shop today. Here's photos of, you know, some asshole that came in or whatever, you know, here's pictures of a tattoo I did or a funny story or like, this is the shit we got into, you know, and there'd be these epic threads 
about people's experiences that were for the most part just funny. Yeah. You know, it was just, it was really entertainment, but it was like shop talk with people all around the world that you typically wouldn't get to see. Yeah. I, I would liken it now to like a closed Facebook group is really what it was. So it's, it's right. interesting how it was very ahead of its time because yeah. now it's just very much in line with, with what people use all the time now. Right. I know it was, it was good for me when I was starting first starting a tattoo to being on there because it, it gave me uh, an, an attitude or it gave me a point of view that I really lacked from the people that I worked with. As far as uh, seeing people critique others' tattoos on the forum really showed like a cutthroat, like no excuse kind of attitude that I think mm -hmm. really helped me. It, it's intimidating and it was, it was hard mm -hmm. to swallow at first, but uh, it definitely, that specifically is what I remember that I got out of it. Just really starting to look at why I'm drawing things a certain way or why I'm doing things the way that I do it. And really you have to have reasoning for it and you can't just call it a style or, you know, right. Well, there, and there's also the people that would, um, attempt to critique without really having, uh, much of a, of a, of anything to stand on, you know, where, and then everyone piles in and calls him a fucking loser. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, the thing is like, that's kind of why part of the deal, part of being on that forum was, um, you had to, you had to put the year you started tattooing. So that way, if you're going to, if you're going to critique, if you're going to act like, you know, some shit, we want to know where you base that from, you know, like wh where is that coming from that you're claiming to know all this shit. And you know, somebody said they started tattooing in 1984 and can verify that you're going to listen to them. You know, right. And if it's just some random dude who calls himself fire, God, six, 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 which <laughs> that, that was a thing, <laughs> uh, you know, just typing in all caps and yelling about shit. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's easy to, it's easy to, um, uh, discredit that stuff, you know? Um, and there's also the people that would, uh, wouldn't say shit in public. You know, there was also the people that were like, you know, really apt to, um, you know, being internet tough guys and, you know, giving super harsh critiques that would never say those things in person. And, um, you know, that is sort of kind of take, you know, taking the bad with the good, you know, you have to have to sort of filter stuff out where you can. Do you think that there's, there's room for something like that to ever emerge again? I mean, we we're already talking about how hard it is to get anyone to go to any website other than that. But for something really kind of pure like that yeah. now, it might be refreshing in a I way. I do. I think that there is a place for it. Those, those forums still exist for all other industries and interests. Um, they're still out there. If I don't know, like I, I typically, I, I don't pay a lot of attention to this stuff, but I see people using, um, you know, like microblading forms and they're massive where they're, there's, there's microblade technicians like thousands and thousands all over the world that are like communicating about their, which equipment they like and which techniques. And they're like going to seminars and conventions and all this shit. And there there's massive online communities for this sort of stuff. Um, and I do feel that there's a place for, um, uh, you know, a f sort of a, a revival of a forum like that. And I've, I've had so many countless people suggest that, um, I started up again and, uh, I can't imagine having the time, to fuck around online like that anymore. Cause what would any, I think the problem is what would anyone get out of creating that? Uh, I think the same thing that anyone's ever gotten out of it is sort of a captive audience. Yeah. You know, I think the person who is in control of that, who has that, that, you know, crowd of, you know, a thousand or 10,000 or 20,000 people or how, however many it is. Um, It'd probably be even more now because you can spread the word about it so much. It would be the same thing as it was back then. You know, I don't know that it would be as powerful um, but there, I mean, there are, I think there are tattoo forums that still exist. Well, what, what happened to the Reed street forum? It turned into tattoodles. It turned into tattoodles, um, which I didn't know that it was going to turn into tattoodles. I've, I thought it was, I mean, well, it didn't really turn into tattoodles. It was absorbed by tattoodles. God, I fucking hate that name. I really like Adam sky a lot, but, um, ah, toodler. Uh, <laughs> Proud tootler. <laughs> Tattoodles. <laughs> Adam took it over, um, installed it on his site. It became Reed Street Part Do. Part Do. Yeah. <laughs> um, and when that happened, a lot of people were like, fuck that. I'm not, there's no way I'm going on a site called Tattoodles. So I, I had another one. It was like the secret 
Reed Street Forum defectors. Oh shit! There was like another one. It was like the side door I didn't because know it was about like that. It, I was too green to, to get in on that one. I can't remember how long after Adam did the Reed Street Forum, but it was like the secret, and it's actually still online. You can find it online. Yeah, I think if you type in like RSTF defectors on Google, it's like still up on like Easy Board or whatever Easy Board became. I forget what it's called now, but you can still access it. Let's get on there. We should. <laughs> Let's go critique some shit. Yeah, I was actually thinking about getting on Vero now and like getting all the followers, you know, like being the one who's like ahead of the curve on followers. I think if you get about 30, <laughs> you're crushing it. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if anyone is actually on that. That was like the biggest uh, up and down that I've seen in a long time. Like so everyone jumped onto it and then it crashed so hard because pe- they were putting out the articles that the guy that owns it is like enslaving people or whatever it was. Well, it also didn't work. Right. Like well, I, tr- yeah. I tried, I made an account, but I couldn't get it to upload any pictures at all. And everybody's like, everyone's switching to Vera. I'm like, fuck man, I gotta, I gotta be part of But we of all that. knew that that wasn't going to happen. I don't, I but, didn't know. But no one wants to be left behind. Exactly. You're be like, well, I want to get on it first, but it's so crazy how everyone does the same thing. Yeah. And even when you realize that yeah. you'll still do it. How many people do you think were felt slighted when the green circle thing came out that they weren't invited to be part of it. Um, like instead of like there were the another, same number of people that were very pissed about it. Right. But I mean, <laughs> do you think that like the, any of the people who were pissed about it were actually just fucking insulted that they weren't invited to be in the elite crew that changed tattooing? Well, they never admit it, but I, I would say that the people that maybe were the most vocal, uh, to denounce the people that were involved with it would also have a very hard time turning up an opportunity like that. Oh yeah. I've always wanted to like, cause there are a lot of people who are really outspoken about, um, uh, ink master and the shows. And I've always wanted to like prank call them as producers <laughs> Yeah, and like, <laughs> get them to agree to be on the show and then blast them. We should do a prank call episode. Dude, we, that was when, when I had Reed street, I had this, this kid working with me who he, he was supposed to be my apprentice, but we just fucked off all the time. He didn't really start tattooing. Maybe he did like a couple of tattoos when he worked with me. He was, he was a refugee from New Orleans after the, after the floods. And I took him in at the shop and I was like a, a, he was like a friend of a friend. And he had been into doing prank calls for a long time to the point where like he needed therapy. Like he was fucking addicted to it. And we started getting into it and we would buy all these burner phones. And, um, we would have like, it was like four or $500 a month. It was like four or $500 a month in burner phones where yeah. we would just be, you know, we'd go across the street to the, uh, the right to the drugstore and buy all the phones and then start getting real paranoid and buying them all over towns. <laughs> we were like, we were like, we had these, like, we had a list of people and, uh, you know, every day I'd come into work and like Chris, stinky Chris, he was my dude. I'd come in and he'd be like scrubbing tubes. And I'm like, I'm like, Do you call Tom Fisher? And be like, oh shit, I'm like, fucking call Tom Fisher. And like, that was like the list of things to do in the morning was like, make all the prank calls, then scrub the tubes. <laughs> like, <laughs> got, got, you know, prioritize here. I mean, that, that shop was a shit show. We'd throw water balloons in the shop and, you know, you name it. <laughs> a lot of serious work going on in there. Oh yeah, it was so good. <laughs> yeah, it was so good. <laughs> I love that idea of of approaching people with different business propositions to see how how loyal they are. B- right? Yeah, exactly. Like you call somebody ass. and you're like, "Hey, it's I'm fucking calling you. I'm calling you from Ink Master, and I'm a producer." And you know, like one of the one of the best calls we had this. There was a shop called Bad Ronalds. It was legit called Bad Ronalds. A tattoo shop. Mm-hmm. Bad Ronalds. Yeah. Where was that? It was in Pennsylvania, like York. It's closed now. Mm-hmm. And Shocking. Th- there was this uh, this Irish lady, thick Irish accent. She'd answer the phone. She was the piercer and her husband or boyfriend, Ronald, was the, um, he was the, uh, the tattooer. And we'd call her all the time. And it was always, fuck. <laughs> we'd call her and it would be like, um, like call it, like ask for a price, you know, like how much for you know, tribal armband or Celtic armband or whatever. And it was always like, okay, cool. Well, I'll come down and maybe when we're done, you know, I can use your mouth as a pussy. And <laughs> this woman would lose her shit because every fucking time it was always the same punchline. It was always, right. well, maybe when we're done, I'll use your mouth as a pussy. Every time, no matter what it was, <laughs> a piercing, an armband, and a dolphin. 
And then we called him and interviewed him for a tattoo magazine. And we're like, it's Marcus from tattoo magazine. And, and interviewed the guy for 20 minutes on like his technique and his background. And, the, and he's just like, oh, I can't wait to see this. Like, yeah, we're going to send a photographer down on Wednesday if you're going to be around. And when he's done taking pictures, maybe he'll use your mouth as a pussy. <laughs> <laughs> and fucking dude lost it. So like the, 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 the coup de gras of that series with Bad Ronald was, uh, fuck, <laughs> so good, <laughs> fucking, we're like, Chris and I are hanging out, it's like three in the morning, and we're like, wanna call him at home. We're trying to find this guy's home number, and we're like digging through tax records online. We're like finding the property owner, and like hoping maybe his name's not really Bad Ronald. We, so we call the number that's associated with the tax record, and it's his landlord for the tattoo shop, and it's like three in the morning, and. And my buddy Chris is like, this is officer so-and-so, and and there's been a break-in, and we need to get a hold of your tenant uh, at the tattoo shop. And so Bad Ronald calls. He's like, what's going on? He's like, oh, there's been a robbery at your place. Uh, There's some broken glass, and some of your stuff is missing, but we've we've apprehended a suspect. We've got him at the station. We need you to come down and ID him. And he's like, okay, I'll I'll be right down. Okay, well, maybe when you get down here, I can use your mouth as a pussy. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, it was just, it was just that a lot. Yeah. It was, just that. It was a lot of that. <laughs> that must have driven him nuts. Oh, it was, yeah, it was a nightmare for him. Did you ever record any of those calls? Oh, yeah. There were, there were thousands of calls recorded. Um, <laughs> I don't know that we should use any of this on the podcast. Yeah, we'll see. Maybe a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that we should use any of this. <laughs> so since you're in the tat supply biz... Uh, someone brought it to my attention recently about uh, micro. What do they call it when they when you stipple someone's hair onto their head? Do you know what I'm talking um, about? It's something pigmentation, micros. Yeah, skin. micropigmentation, or like uh, I don't know. It's for bald people, right. and it can like. Yeah, I don't know what it's called. I've seen it. Yeah, it can. I've give, seen people do a really good job of it. Yeah, 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 it can really give a convincing look of like a hairline and stuff. Like you have a really tight haircut or something, but. Mm-hmm. Someone asked me if I was aware that, uh, like supplier websites for people that do those hair tattoos, they're just like cartridges, like mm-hmm. any tattooers would use, but they're marked up like 10 times higher. That's good to know. Crazy. <laughs> so what I'm here to ask you this, uh, welcome to books closed shark tank edition. Uh, <laughs> now, now sharks, I'd like to give you my pitch. <laughs> I waited to do this in uh, person. This isn't even a real podcast. <laughs> but how crazy is that? It's it's insane. Um, yeah, I am aware that there's a massive market for it, and because they say these are specially formulated cartridges, yeah, uh, uh, compatible with Bishop Rotaries, of mm-hmm. course. But so that's the same thing, right? And and I didn't know what that stuff cost, so I looked it up on like Kingpin, mm-hmm. and then I compared it to what it was on like hairtats.com or whatever they sell it from with like some slick <laughs> mm-hmm. micro pigmentation yep. site. And it's like Pro, brow pro or whatever. Yeah. It's like $600 for a hundred cartridges or something. It's insane. It's insane. Yeah. Um, but they don't care because I'm sure it costs a lot to do that procedure. So it does. And these are, and these are like middle-aged housewives predominantly who are, who are taking up that practice uh, you know, cause they're like, you know, it's like the, the new, like easy tattoo at home kit, you know, like you can be a tattoo artist too. <laughs> can you imagine yeah. if your if your whole day every day consisted of dotting people's hair? No. How tedious is that? Uh, ask Thomas Hooper. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Uh, uh, I had to. <laughs> I mean, what's the lifespan of someone who does that for a career? A year? Because they can't afford. Uh, the, I don't know. I feel like there's. I mean, there's people who. There's like there's a dude who's really good at it. We posted one of his pictures on Black Claw because mm-hmm. he he used he uses Black Claw needles. I think he uses a single. Like he doesn't. I don't know that he uses cartridges at all. I have no idea, but I know that yeah. he um, he uses some traditional bar needles, and his result is insane. Yeah pretty nuts so at this point how much do you keep tabs on tattooing in general none none at all i'm not really no i mean uh no i i really don't i don't keep tabs on tattooing i mean well i'm aware of 
stuff here and there, but I feel like I learn about a new tattooer at least once a week. Mm -hmm. Um, someone, you know, like I, I look through, I look like through, through the explore page more than I will the feed on Instagram. And that's kind of how I'm figuring, finding out about stuff or, you know, people or tattooers or whatever. Um, and I'll look through the explore page and I'll click on something that looks cool. And then I'll realize I've never heard of them. And then I'll go down this wormhole of like looking at their stuff and realize that like they and everyone they follow does killer tattoos and they've all been tattooing like a 10th of the time that I have. Yeah. And they're great. And then I'm just like, fuck it. I, you know, like what, like, like what, what else is there to look at? What do you think is the biggest contributor to people getting good so fast? Um, I think it's the availability of, of information, the availability of, um, uh, equipment there are more good tattooers now than you know when i started tattooing you know i hate to say it but the guy who i did my apprenticeship with didn't know what the fuck he was doing like he i think he meant well sort of but he was like a scummy biker dude who like you know outlined everything with a single or three and filled it in with a 14 round and didn't didn't know how to tune a machine and now there are just more and more people who can put on good tattoos and who can teach people to put on good tattoos and um you know, of course there's the people who are self-taught, you know, and, and by and large, most of them aren't very good, but there are the people who uh, are smart. They're intuitive people. And it's not, you know, if you have the right equipment and you're able to see it, I guess the combination of like the equipment that's available now and the information that's available now is it's better than a shitty apprenticeship, you know, because I spent a year just fucking people up because my boss didn't know what he was doing. If, it were a year of like using real equipment with real needles, real pigments and watching videos over and over again, I probably would have learned a lot more, you know? Um, my, he, he was cutting people using hook needles, using dirty needles, like all the wrong shit, you know, blowing into his tube to clean out the excess water and like, you know, giving people staph infections and strep and whatnot. And, and, um, anyone who starts tattooing now knows that you're not supposed to do that. It, there's right. like so much more education available where like, I think at this point, anyone doing bad tattoos has no excuse. Like, like what, what excuse do you have to do bad tattoos now? Right. Yeah. Cause you can get all the information and it's totally free. You can, you, it's just all there. For yeah. Them to take it's in. all there. And I mean, you can buy, you know, the best needles that have ever been available you can buy the best machines that have ever been available, really good pigment. Like it's, and it's all just getting better and better and people are demanding better and better. Yeah. So like, you know, really, um, what's, what's the variable, you know, you can't really teach intuition, but, um, you can teach ability and you can teach skill. So you've been recently working on a new project that you've posted some stuff about as far as education about machines. Uh, um, that's, uh, it's been sort of uh, not back burner, middle burner project with my friend, uh, my buddy Alex, who uh, <clears throat> I've done a, a couple of projects here in Portland with. And um, it's, uh, he came to me and he's like, he's like, he saw me doing, you know, that I had um, some workshops. Oregon has a continuing education requirement where you have to have a certain amount of hours every week to keep your license and they'll audit you. They'll come and say, you know, where's your certification of completion? And I put together um, a workshop for that's accredited with the state of Oregon, where I'd have like eight or ten people come at a time, and um, they'd you know they'd get some hours in with me learning to tune machines. And he's like, "Why don't you just make it? Why don't you just do a video thing, and that way you don't have to do it over and over again? And why don't you do a video thing so that way you can reach more people?" Um, and I was like, "I don't know how to do it, you know. Like I don't, you know. It was kind of like when I was new to the internet. He's like, mm-hmm. he's like, I can put this together for you. I can produce it. I can film it." Um, I can package it for you and we can, um, we can make something that, uh, isn't really, uh, instructional, but it's educational and, and sort of a supplement to what, um, uh, people might, um, have already gotten through, whether it's self-training or an apprenticeship or whatever else. It's kind of just like, um, just some extra stuff. And it's the way that I do it, the way that I, the way that I do the extra stuff. I've always felt a little bit helpless in the machine department. So I, I think that it's a, a, a great opportunity to kind of continue my, my quest of understanding and everything. Yeah. 
Uh, I think that that's, I think a lot of people share that. I think that's why people use rotaries now. People yeah. are putting down coil machines for, for a number of reasons. Um, the spring steel that we're getting now is not what it used to be. It's now typically all made in India or Pakistan. It used to be American made. It's really hard to get good spring steel. It's all brittle. It's not made to the same standards. It's not the same alloy. It's not the stuff we used to get. And that spring isn't designed to do what we're asking of it. It's designed to, you know, go like switch on and off, you know, like a, you know, like a, on a solar end, like a relay, but not a hundred times a second, you know? So, um, you're having a lot more broken springs than you would have, you know, even five years ago, 10, 15 years ago, like it, the stuff is supposed to last a lifetime. I've got you know, machines that are older than me that still have the same springs on. Um, and that helplessness is what makes people put that machine away and never pick it up again and go, man, that guy's machines suck or coil machines suck. And what I'm hoping to do is get people hyped on coil machines and go and get hyped on knowing stuff. And, you know, when their coworkers machine breaks or their machine breaks, they can just take the gloves off and fix it and have confidence to do it on the fly, know what they're doing, feel it, listen to it, know what they're listening for, know what they're feeling for and why, and get back to work and maybe answer some questions for their coworkers too, and kind of get them hyped on that, that little part of magic again, you know? Yeah. Cause you definitely have a, a bigger sense of pride in the machines that you use. If you know that you're kind of, that you can make them your bitch a little bit more. With it, I think that goes for anything. I think that if you work on your own car or motorcycle or even putting your own skateboard together, you know, when you put the grip tape on it and, you mm -hmm. know, cut it out and put the wheels on and fresh bearings, it's like there's, it feels so much better than going to buying when you go to the skate shop and like the guy puts it together for you that feels lame. You feel like a fucking poser. Right. You know, so like when you're able to um, do something yourself and own it and have a, uh, an authentic conversation about it with your peers, know what you're doing. It yeah. makes a huge difference in your work, I think. Right. I feel like the best thing I realized is that it, the problem is usually my clipcord before anything. I think we blame machines for a lot of stuff, but it's usually just a clipcord is going to go south a lot, a lot quicker of, yeah. than anything else. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Um, having a, a clipcord that is like has a really strong spring, I don't understand why we don't use something better you know, like RC, RCAs are better. A phono plug is better. I don't know why the tattoo community is so resistant to just switching over completely, um, you know, from binding post and clip cord to something that just plugs in. I mean, can you imagine like charging your laptop with a clip cord? Right, know? right. Like and there's a reason why nothing else uses that. You know, no other industry, no other business or craft uses that setup. Mm -hmm. So why don't you put RCA plugs on every machine? The rotary crowd is kind of pushing in that direction. And, and I think that like as a coil machine builder for years and years, I've always discussed this with people like my peers, like Aaron Kane, he'd always be like, fuck clip cords, you know? And we would talk about wanting people to switch to plugs. And we didn't think that anyone ever would. We would, we always assumed that there would, there would be a pushback against it. Like, nope, people don't want it. People want to have a clip cord. Um, so we've always been apprehensive to sort of like make that be our thing, you know? And now it's like, man, we totally could have done that. You know, the rotary guys all do it. You know, all those pens have plugs. None of those have clip cords. Um, and this, this is something that we could have and should have done years ago. Right. You know, and, and I would say the reason that I don't do it now is because I don't make enough machines now for it to matter. And, and it's almost like the people that, that are still sticking with coils might be more like the purest crowd anyway that wouldn't, right. that wouldn't want it. Right. They want it to look cool and sound cool. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I have, you know, friends that have been using plugs for 20 years, like Timothy Hoyer. He's been on plugs for as long as I can remember. Mm -hmm. You know, Grime has been on plugs forever. He only uses plugs. So it's know? okay. Everyone out there listening, it's okay. It is okay. It's fine. Um, but you know, it's like, these are guys who are great tattooers who've been on this thing forever for a reason, you know, but you're right. It is. Uh, and it's either the, it's either the foot switch or the clip cord. Usually I got a good question for you. Okay. 
Why do you think that tattooers are so defensive? <laughs> I have a theory about that. I think that tattooers are spoiled by their customers. I think that tattooers, no matter how good or how shitty they are, their customers tell them they're great. And they have people telling them that they're great all day, every day. You're so good. This is amazing. Here's $500. This is amazing. You know, here's 1200 likes. This is amazing. Here's money. You know, like <laughs> you're amazing. You're amazing. And when somebody says, Hey, you're not so amazing. Their whole fucking world comes crushing down and yeah. they're not used to that. And it's like, taking away that little shot of dopamine for a second. Right. They're like, they're not, what? I didn't get another like. What if all the likes just disappeared? What would we be left with? Yeah, like what if the commenting was all turned off? Do you think that's what fuels a lot of people now? That if that, if that aspect wasn't there, that we can't just show off what we did and get validation from Have, it? That, haven't, that, haven't you ever noticed somebody will post a tattoo and it'll be kind of a dud and then they'll delete it? Yeah, and sometimes they post it again. See, just see if maybe they posted at the wrong time of day. Right. <laughs> see right. how it goes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Some I'll like, I just kind of the voyeur in me sometimes will, I'll check in on certain accounts that of like people that I'm not huge fans of, not a huge fan of as like an artist or a person. And I'll just kind of like once in a while I'll look just for the reality show aspect of it. And I'll see that they've taken down a tattoo that I knew sucked. You know, mm -hmm. eventually they figured out that it sucked. Right. Um, or maybe it just wasn't, you know, maybe just people, I, you were talking with Chris, I think the other day, were you talking with Chris about it the other day about how like, you know, certain things just don't get the engagement. Yeah. You know, right, and right. I think that yeah, some stuff's more striking just due to right. the, the way And I think that it. people will, the current like new generation of tattooers, when they set out to do a tattoo, it's with the, the concern or with the consideration for how the internet is going to react to that tattoo and does it fall in line with their audience's expectation of that artist? Does it, does it fit with the other stuff they do? Is it as cool as their other stuff? Is it going to like upset their algorithm? You know? Yeah. I've said that if I were to have an apprentice, I wouldn't let them have a, uh, an Instagram. I wouldn't let them like show their stuff and get followers. Um, because I feel like earning, earning a clientele and earning a following is something that, um, comes later. I don't think that, I don't think that you should get recognition before excellence. I think that it should be accomplishment first, then recognition. And I think that people fish for recognition first as they're building experience and building accomplishment. And then, you know, two years into their, you know, into their apprenticeship, they finally do a good tattoo and they've already got a following that's like built in. And I don't, I don't think that that builds a whole lot of character. Builds a lot of ego. It, yeah, I think that it, it builds a, um, and it's a false ego, you know? It, it was an interesting thing that I saw when I, I had made a video about soul tattoos. And I went out in the woods behind my house with my wife and she saw put that. on a blonde wig. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was a spoof on, on a real woman that does stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But I put it up on Facebook and it got 2 million views in a week. People thought it was real. People thought it was real. They yeah. didn't even question it. Right. And there were people who thought it was real that were mad about it and people who thought it was real that were stoked on it. Right. I got so many messages from people trying to make appointments with her thinking that I was like her agent. <laughs> and the thing that was interesting about it is that they were all like creepy men. Really? One, 100%. There was not a single woman that wrote to get tattooed by Ember, the soul tattooer. Oh and, my God. And some of them I would respond and, and see how far I could take it. And I said like $1,500 minimum, $2,200 minimum. Everyone was like, done. I'm into it. And it was like right before winter. So I looked at Rachel and I was like, you're going to have to start tattooing now because we're going to be rich. <laughs> 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 they don't care if it's yeah, good. They want to be mean, healed. Right. People, um, I think these days, I think that people can create a persona and then capitalize on the persona. And it's sort of, I don't know. I guess uh, there, I mean, there, that, I think that's always been present in the tattoo business. There's, there's always been people that were characters that, um, had customers because they were characters. Yeah. Because people can latch onto that and identify with it or like mm -hmm. you, be, it becomes more of a thing. And it's funny right. because all the stuff that I focus on when I make parody videos, it's pretty much that concept is what intrigues me. People mm -hmm. that like create this weird circus around themselves. But the more I do all this stuff, like 
podcasting and videos, I'm kind of becoming that person in a different way because I've, I've got more than double the audience or like recognition from my peers that I had when I just did tattoos and put them mm-hmm. online. Right. I mean, you could separate it and make an account, you could separate it to make an account that's for your tattoos. Yeah. And then have an account that's for your entertainment. Right. You know, I, I think it comes down to what you want your clientele to be. You know, um, it used to be that you would cultivate a clientele locally. You know, you would, um, you'd go to the bar and, you know, hand out a business card or two and get to know people and you develop your clientele by interacting, whether it be, you know, tattooing, you know, people that live in the neighborhood or just meeting them when you're out or whatever. And, um, that doesn't happen anymore. There's no more legwork, Mm. you know? And I think that if, I mean, there are, there are people, there are tattooers that don't, that don't exist really on the internet that have people that look at Grez, you know, he doesn't, he's not on the internet. He doesn't, he doesn't involve himself with that yet. He's, he's doing fine. He's yeah. Books closed. Yeah. Well, it kind of (laughs) creates another, uh, like a, a special allure to someone, but it's assumed that they're also a great tattooer. Like you can't just be Joe Schmo and do that and get the recognition for it. But you, I mean, the thing is though, like desirable because you can, in, in certain places, you know, like in the Midwest, you know, you have shops that, you know, this guy's been tattooing there for 25, 30 years and he's got his local clientele and that's just who they go to. Mm-hmm. And like the, you know, the guy who I started working for, he had lines out the door all the time and people, he was legendary in our area. He sucked mm-hmm. and he was legendary and it just, he cultivated that clientele for himself without the internet. Yeah. And I guess you know, there's something to be said for, you know, needing that now, but I think that there are people who disprove it all the time. You know, I think it depends on like what, like what your target audience is, like where, like in, in what level of the tatosphere you want to be. <laughs> <laughs> the tatmosphere. <laughs> so do you have any good, uh, any, any stories? I like to try to end on a, a more fun note. Uh, when I, I tattooed Chad Keplinger a really long time ago and didn't, at that point he was, he wasn't Chad Keplinger. He was just, you know, he was some guy, you know, he wasn't like fucking a powerhouse tattooer, you know? Yep. I was, um, I think I, I was, I think it was Atlanta. I was sharing a booth at a convention with Grime and Chad was, he had just started tattooing and he wanted his, his fingers tattooed and he wanted to hold fast on his knuckles. And I don't think he had, an, he might've had, I don't think he had anything else on his hands at the time. Now, luckily, you can't see them, uh, what I put on them. But he wanted to get hold fast. And um, I, I drew it on and it looked okay. And I told Grime, I was like, I'm going to do the A upside down. And he was like, why? I was like, because it's fucking gangster. And he's like, no, you won't. And I was like, yes, I am. Watch. And I like just, without even telling Chad, just did it. I just did the A upside down. And he's like, and he like looked so panicked. He's like, what? What? And I was just like, I was like, it's gangster. And he's like, oh, okay. And he like didn't say shit. And ever since then, I've been, I've wanted to get tattooed by Chad, but I'm fucking terrified because like I'm <laughs> wondering what's going to happen. Yeah, anything's you know? on the table at this point. Yeah, and it would be fair. <laughs> <laughs> it would be fair. Felt terrible about that one for a really long time. And I remember him like him telling me that it was me. And he's like, yeah, you did this and this happened. And I was like, oh, fuck. I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> like that was such a dick move. I have enough shitty tattoos as a result of that experience. I think it's only fair. Yeah, and I still have them. <laughs> yeah. So from here, where where do you think this this crazy train called tattooing's headed? Whew. I don't know. I mean, it seems like it's only it, it's only building speed, and it's only building more and more momentum. You know, I think. Um, the New York Times today did an article about tattooers who are millionaires. Great. Mm-hmm. That's what we need. Yeah. I mean, it wouldn't be the first time that there's been stuff published about how much money we make. Remember when you I know? started seeing when they would do the yearly thing where they put like average, yeah. uh, like annual salary, and then you'd start to see tattooer on that. Yeah. On that well, there was, a, there was kind of a backlash about that some years ago. Uh, there was a, a lady tattooer, I think she was in upstate New York, had kind of said some stuff publicly about the kind of money that tattooers were making. And, um, you know, one, people were upset that she would divulge that. Two, 
people were upset that they weren't making that kind of money. (laughs) (laughs) They were like, fuck her. She makes too much money or fuck her. They shouldn't say how much money we make, you know, but the guy that I worked for drove a flashy car and had all sorts of jewelry. And, uh, you know, it, it, it wasn't surprising to me when half of our clientele wanted to open tattoo shops. Yeah. Yeah. You make it look so good and so easy, you know, Mm -hmm. it seems like anyone can do it. Yeah. And that guy's level of ability was, I mean, it was me, it was mediocre at best. So like, you know, yeah, it's crazy. Small town tattooing, what you can get away with. You can get away with anything. I always wonder about the tattoos that don't get photographed or don't get on the internet. Yeah. They're, they're probably all on the dark web. No, I mean, I, I have a tattooer buddy who is a professional cyclist that was, who was a professional cyclist that got banned from cycling professionally because he bought a Chinese boner pill and it had some shit in it that gives rats cancer and apparently shows up as a steroid Ooh. or a do- like some kind of a doping situation. It happens. But it makes you hard as a rock. Fucking research chemicals, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be scared to take anything that I acquired that way. Yeah, you live on the edge a little bit. I don't live on the edge. Yeah. You don't seem like a guy who lives on the edge. No. <laughs> You'll probably live longer than I will. Maybe. <laughs> we'll see you in hell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, let's wrap it up. We've talked, we've, we've talked about it all. We figured out tattooing. So I hope that you guys all got a great insight into what you should be doing because we are obviously experts. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'd go that far. <laughs> Another big thank you to this week's sponsor, Tatsoul, and also to our guest, Seth Safari. You can follow Seth on Instagram at Seth Safari to keep up with everything he does. And again, I urge you all to sign up for his online video course on machinemachine.co. Don't forget to use that code BOOKSCLOSED when signing up to save 50 bucks. And I do want to say, after spending some additional time talking to Seth after this interview, I think I'd describe him as a bit of a mad scientist. He gets into a lot of projects and has a passion for making stuff and for problem solving, and it doesn't really seem to have dulled at all over the years. You can follow me on Instagram at Andrew Stortz and find all info about this show on our website, booksclosepodcast.com. Keep the messages coming to our voicemail line, 857-444-0662. Feel free to leave any comments, questions, critiques, just general thoughts, whatever you want to do. It's fun to get the messages from you guys. I've gotten some great questions so far that you will hear in upcoming episodes for sure. If you're enjoying this podcast, please leave a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you listen from. All you have to do is tap those five stars. It really helps the show. And next week... I will be back with probably the coolest human in tattooing in maybe the world, Freddie Corbin. See you then.